Welcome back to the Entry Level Podcast, where we talk about entry-level experiences in many forms, careers, relationships, business, side hustles, money, travel, and more. We believe if you're always learning and growing, then you will always be entry-level at something. I'm Sarah Dudley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Bernard. This week, we are continuing our conversation with Rachel Richards, author of Money, Honey, and Personal Finance Guru. On last week's episode, we covered the ins and outs of budgeting, saving, and debt reduction. This week, we talk Investing 101 and why it's really not as scary as it seems. So let's get going. Like you said, upfront investing for a lot of people, it's really intimidating. Nobody knows where to start. You feel like, for me, the perception has always been, oh, investing is for rich people. Like I, when I was 20, I didn't even think twice about investing because I was like, why would I do that? I can barely pay my bills. <laughs> so I, mm-hmm. I think investing will be a, is a really interesting topic. And And introducing it in the framework of you can start today, no matter how much money you have, I think is a new concept that that isn't talked about a lot. So I know investing is for a lot of people really big and ugly and scary. Why do you think that is? And you touched on it a bit already. um, Why do you think that is? and, And why do you think that people shouldn't look at it like that? Yeah. Well, and also where do you start? Like from that question, once you get past that, where do you even start? Okay, great question. So in my experience and in most other people's experience, it seems like they do inherit some savings and budgeting and and maybe a little bit knowledge about debt payoff just from the the family they're growing up in or maybe from friends or from school. It seems like those topics are more widely known but investing is taught nowhere. I mean, I don't remember anyone ever teaching me about investing. So no one knows anything about it. If they want to know, they're overwhelmed by the vast amount of resources and options. You know, there's literally hundreds of thousands of different investments you can make in the stock market. So it's super scary when you hear people say, you really need to be invested in the stock market, but you literally don't know how. So I get it completely. It's just, I think it's just an intimidating topic in, in, in general, just because it's complicated. You don't know where to start. You don't know anything about it. You don't, you don't know, you know, where to go to learn. So I think that's why it's intimidating, but it does not have to be. I, I think investing can just be super, super simple. Like it doesn't take me any time. I go, I pick my investment. It takes me five minutes and I don't look at my money. So it can be really simple. And I just want everyone to know that Anyone can invest. Anyone can learn how to do it. It's not a big, scary thing. I'm going to make this really fun and really easy. So, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I think that's something that people need to hear like over and over and over again (laughs) in order for for more people at a younger age. Because I think you said that you started investing when you were 18 in the stock market. Did you just kind of wing it? How did you you go about that? Yeah. So basically... 
to get started, I mean, I had read a lot of different books by this point in my life. And what I had learned was that the best investment that I should be making is something called an index fund. And an index fund is sort of like a conglomerate of all these different stocks from all these different companies. And so when you invest in an index fund, it's like you're investing in all these different stocks at one time. So it's kind of nice. You just get a big basket of of different stocks. And Um, and that's good because- Less risk to your money, right? Just yeah, you, so yeah. you're not like putting all of your eggs apple, eggs in one basket or whatever, mm-hmm. however the phrase is. It's good to invest in index funds, not mutual funds. It's, it's a similar idea, but mutual funds have a much higher fee that you pay to invest in them. Index funds have a much lower fee. So that's why I knew it was really important to invest in index funds. So there were a couple recommendations that I remember seeing. Like one book that I read there was an index fund and it's the stock ticker is IJR. And that was the very first index fund that I invested in. It's for like smaller startup companies. So it, it's a little bit more risky, but knowing that I was so young and I had so much time, I was fine taking on more risk. So like I, I think I opened an account and I put like $500 in IJR. And I still have that investment to this day. It's done like really, really well. But, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. You can go research index funds that are low expense. I normally invest by the size of the company. So market cap is a term that exp- that basically describes the size of the company. You'll hear small cap, large cap. Small cap just means it's a smaller startup company. Mm-hmm. So like a small cap index fund is going to be an index fund that has all a bunch of different smaller companies. And those tend to be more risky, but they also return more money. So I normally have some invested in small cap, some invested in mid cap, some invested in large cap. When you think large companies, you think Apple, Facebook, Google, that's that kind of stuff. And then I normally have some invested also internationally because I don't want to be only invested in the U.S. I want to have a little bit of international exposure. So like my kind of portfolio strategy is to have four funds. And it's basically those four things. It's a small cap index fund, medium cap index fund, large cap index fund, and then an international. And you can literally find those. Like I use Google for everything. I'll just mm-hmm. be like sm- small, low expense, small cap index fund. And I'll just look at a few and I'll pick one. And it doesn't have to be performing fancy analysis or doing all these different calculations and looking at all these different ratios. I mean, when you look at the research done on people that spend a lot of time doing this versus not a lot of time, everyone comes out the same. So you sound like you play the long game, really, because I mean, you you have one of the first ones that you invested in. Do you think? What do you think about the risk? Uh, I'll give you a, a real time a real time example. This weekend, one of my brother's friends was telling me that he just invested three hundred dollars in a cannabis stock in Canada, and it was our and he's been watching it every day. He's getting it up. He got it up to fifteen hundred, and then he sold it, and he's going to wait for it to go back. <gasps> down. So wow. Yeah, so let me ask you about like real time example, you would say that'd be a, a complete example of the short game and playing like a small yeah. small cap. And having yeah. To uh, that yeah, that probably was a small cap. I so what I talk about in my book, I have four rules and one of them is never invest for the short term. Yeah. Only invest for the long term. Now, I think that's cool what your brother did cuz I think it's fun to have some like what I would call it is play money. I'm going to go and I'm going to play in the stock market and I'm going to see if this is going to work for me. And I think that's cool because yeah. that's he just put in 300, he grew it to 1500. He might have lost 300 and he probably realize that. But I mean, that's what you got to know. If you have play money like that, you might just lose it all. So if you're not willing to do that, then I wouldn't ever invest for the short term, only invest for the long term. Mm -hmm. 
no, that's a, yeah. yeah. I was like, good for you. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the cyber cryptocurrency. Yes. Bitcoin. So there was that huge bubble. And the whole time I was like, oh my God, do not invest in this. Do not invest in this. This is a bubble. This is not a long-term investment. This is what I was like advising to all my readers. And like, I know a lot of people that like bought it at a low price and sold it at a high price, which is great. But I also know way more people that bought it at a high price and yeah. lost a lot of money. It, it's so. funny you say that because I'm actually I'm in cybersecurity and I I get questions oh. from everyone. I get questions from everyone. Hey, should I buy your company stock? Hey, should I buy this startup oh stock? God. And I and I honestly just tell everyone I'm like, look, <laughs> I'm like, I always just tell everyone about the cybersecurity. I go, it's not going away. It's always going to yeah. be there. But I will say the market has changed over the next two to three years where three years ago, the startup to invest in startups was the way to go. But now they're all getting acquired or merging and you're not everyone's getting paid what they thought they were going to get paid. And, you know, no. moving to a company like mine, who's a $6 billion cybersecurity company, you may not make that immediate as big of a return, but over time, it's a better investment because it's never going to go that far down. I think the cyber market, kind of like what you mentioned, Bitcoin. And I said this to my brother and his friends this weekend. I'm like, I'm not sure like what the cannabis thing's going to do yet for those stocks. But I just think that's like an example of, you said, playing a, a little, a short game to just have fun. But yeah, that's usually kind of what I push out <laughs> for, for that pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think a lot of people associate investing, though, with that mindset of, oh, I need to be like really good at predicting when stuff yeah. is going to, when, when I should buy, when I should sell. I think for that was my perception for a long time. Like if I don't know the ins and outs of like every company and what wants to buy and what wants to sell, like I can't invest because I don't know how to do any of that. <laughs> so oh, I, think I mean, that's such a good point. And I hope, yeah, like. I don't want people to hold themselves back because they feel like, well, I'm never going to know everything that I need to know. I mean, that's completely true. You're never going to know everything about the company you're investing in or the stock market. But like, it doesn't have to be that complicated. I, I literally pick a few funds. I've had the same funds for like probably eight years now and I've never sold them. I just keep buying and I, I'm not going to sell them ever. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And so you mentioned that you had, you mentioned one of your rules of investing. What are the other three? Yes. So the, so, okay. So number one is don't sell when the market is down. Basically, let's say you have, you know, $10,000 in Apple stock and Apple doesn't do well. And now your stock is only worth $8,000. At this point, a lot of people are naturally going to panic because they feel like they've just lost $2,000 and they feel like, well, I want to prevent further losses. So what sounds logical is to go ahead and sell. That's that's the exact opposite of what you should do, though, because you only realize that loss when you sell. If if your stock has gone down to $8,000, that's just a theoretical loss. It's not made permanent until you sell and you lock in that price of $8,000 and you've sold and now it is a loss. So you just have to remember it's not an actual loss. Mm -hmm. It's going to go back up. Everything in the stock market is temporary. If you look at graphs of when the stock market first started up to now – it goes up and up and up and up. And yeah, it has tiny little downturns or bigger downturns like 1929 and 2008, but it still goes up in the long run. So as long as you can sort of keep that mindset and remind yourself that you're in this for the long game, then it'll, it'll be easier to not panic and sell when the market is down. So that is the first rule. Don't sell when the market's down. The second rule is basically the opposite, is don't buy when the market is up. 
So it's just the exact opposite of the rule. But think about it this way. When the market is down, I see it as all the stocks are on sale. You can get them for a cheaper price. So it's sort of like the best time to buy swimsuits is normally in the winter because all those swimsuits are on sale in the winter. It's sort of the same with the stock market. The best time to buy stocks is actually when the market is down because prices are down and you'll actually get a better price for them before they start going back up again. So you actually want to buy when the market is down and you want to sell when the market is up. It's it's counterintuitive, but that's the be- that's the way you're going to make the most of your money in the stock market. Okay, so number three, which we kind of touched on, hold your investments for at least one year and ideally more like 5, 10, or 20 years or more. I plan to like hold my investments as long as possible. I have not sold any of them. And that's just because, again, you're in it for the long term. So you don't want to be trying to time the market because you will probably lose. <laughs> number four is basically don't be a control freak, (laughs) which has been a hard lesson for me because I am like the world's biggest control freak. It's hard when you first invest to not want to like go look at your portfolio twice a day and be like, okay, what's my stock at today? What's it at now? What's it at next week? That's going to be your instinct is to basically monitor it every day, all day long. But you want to basically have the mindset of you're holding onto this stock for like at least five years. So there's no point in looking at it every day because you're not going to do anything about it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't sell it. You shouldn't do anything. You just need to hold it for five years. And when you look at your portfolio every day, that's when you start to panic and start to get nervous. You'll see the market go down. You'll see your stock go down. I, I literally check my portfolio twice a year. So I look at it once every six months. And normally it's just out of curiosity. I know I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just like, oh, let's see you know, what my stocks are at. And then I'll check on them. And so do you use like Fidelity? Do you have a suggestion or you know, do, what, what do you oh, use yeah. to manage your portfolio? That's a great question. I'm a huge fan of Vanguard specifically yeah. because Vanguard has really, really low cost index funds and options. So it's, and I'm all about low fees because the best way you can get a higher return is if you're paying lower fees. So Vanguard's really good for that. Um, I also have Fidelity just because my 401k is with Fidelity. So like a lot of people, if your 401k is already with a company, it might just make sense for you to just keep investing with that company. So everything's in one place. So that's totally fine. But I do love Fidelity and Vanguard the best. So I didn't mean nice. to interrupt your fourth. Uh, did you get to the fourth one? I apologize. Oh, yeah, that was it. That was okay. it. Just don't be a control freak. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just thought that. I just wanted no. to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about a little bit more is that because you were younger, you could open yourself up to more risk. What, is that, what does that mean exactly when we're talking vesting? What you would do when you're younger versus what you might do if you're closer to retirement? Okay. Yeah. So... Let's just kind of think through an example. So let's say it w- it's like 2007 and let's say you're 58 years old and you're planning on retiring in two years. And if you have your entire portfolio invested in the stock market, little do you know, you're about to lose 50% of the value of your portfolio because of what happened in 2008. So it's really, really risky to be invested in the stock market that much when you're that close to retirement. So I always say if you're getting close to retirement, like 
five years or less, you definitely want to start transitioning your investments away from the stock market and into bonds or cash or just normal savings accounts. Mm -hmm. Because when you're 58 years old and you lose 50% of your portfolio in 2008, you don't have 10 years to like let it sit and grow back up to where it used to be. You're counting on that money now and you need it now. So that's basically the reason you don't want to just be having it all in the stock market. However, it's the complete opposite if you're still pretty young and like really anyone that's more than 10 years away for, from retirement, you can have almost all of your portfolio invested in the stock market. So like literally my portfolio is 100% invested in the stock market. Some people might think that's too risky, but I know that in my lifetime, when the stock market goes down, because it will go down, I will have enough time to make that money back up when I just kind of sit there and let it regrow. So that's basically the difference. When you're young, you can afford to take on a lot more risk because you have time on your side. When you're old, you don't have time on your side. I, um, you mentioned something, and just for our listeners, could you just explain quickly the difference between stocks and bonds, just being uh, our younger listeners who may not have uh, gone through that yet? Yes, that's great. Okay, so a stock is is like a unit of ownership in a company. So for example, if you buy a stock of Michael Kors, that means you own a tiny little piece of Michael Kors. And when Michael Kors has a good year and profits go up, the value of your stock also increases. So the goal with stock is to buy it hold on to it for a while and let it appreciate and grow and then sell it for a profit. So that's what you're doing with stock. Okay. Now a bond is totally different. A bond is a loan and you're the lender. So literally when you purchase a bond from a company, you are loaning that company money for a period of time. And in return, they pay you interest. But then when the bond reaches its end date, the company pays you back the initial amount that you lent them. So you typically make money on bonds with the interest that they pay you. You can also make money by selling your bond before its end date, but I don't recommend that. Bond prices can go up or down and, and they're tied to interest rates. So if you sell before the end date, there's a chance you could actually lose money. So I only recommend like investing bond, in, in bonds if you're going to hold it through its entire term length, if that makes sense. Yes, thank so, you. Yeah. So to compare the two also, stocks have consistently outperformed bonds. Um, that's just a fact that's over the entire history of, of the stock market. Stocks are more volatile, meaning that their prices fluctuate more. So one day your stock might be worth 100. The next day it could be worth 95. The next day it could be worth 110. It goes up and down a lot, so it's more risky. Um, and bonds are the opposite. They're a little bit less volatile and less risky. But even though stocks are riskier, I advocate for investing in stocks in the long run because I'm young, I have decades until retirement, and I want the greatest return possible. So, and that might change. We're seeing interest rates go up. So, bonds might become a more profitable investment in the coming years. I don't know. But as of now, and as of the entire time I've been alive, stocks have definitely been the better investment. Yeah. No, that's thanks for doing that. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. I think a lot of people in their minds, for me, I, when I think of a bond, I think of like the savings bond that my parents <laughs> would give me as kind of like my birthdays as a child. Yeah. I don't know what the value of those are. I don't know what ever happened to those. We'll have to yeah, yeah. If you look them up, they could be like worth a lot now. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, cool. that early retirement. Here and, I come. <laughs> what would you, like talking about retirement that we've, we've all brought up a couple of times, what do you think? So I know I personally have an IRA. Um what do you think about what would you recommend from a 401k and an IRA? And maybe can you touch on that a little bit for some of our uh, listeners? Yeah. So what I'll, what I'll do is 
just l- let me start by explaining the difference between an IRA and a 401k. So an IRA is an individual retirement account, basically. It actually stands for Individual Retirement Arrangement. And then a 401k is a retirement account offered by an employer. So that's the main difference. Anyone with earned income can open their own IRA. I recommend everyone open one, especially if they don't have access to a 401k. With both accounts, you're the owner of the account. You get to control how your money's invested. And one of the bigger benefits of a 401k is that sometimes the employer will offer some sort of contribution, like they'll match what you contribute to it. And that's free money. So that's really nice. Now, some some people get confused about really what an IRA or a 401k is. Neither one of them are a type of investment. It's a type of account. So you can invest within the account. So you can open an IRA and a 401k and then invest in whatever you want. I could hold my IRA in cash. I can invest it in stocks or bonds. It's simply an investment vehicle. So I just wanted to make that distinction. And then you can do, you can invest in either a traditional or a Roth version. So if you want me to, I can kind of yeah, explain definitely. the differences between them. Okay. So with a traditional account, there's two types of, of retirement accounts, traditional and Roth. With the traditional account, the contributions are tax deductible. So like if I invest $1,000 in a traditional IRA this year, I'm going to get a tax deduction when I file my taxes this year. So you'd get a tax benefit when you contribute to it up front. And then funds grow tax deferred, meaning you don't pay taxes on interest or capital gains until you take a withdrawal. So basically with a traditional, you're pushing your taxes owed into the future. You don't have to pay taxes on it until you use it. The Roth is the exact opposite. So any contributions you make today are not tax deductible. But in a Roth, funds grow completely tax-free. So you pay taxes like normal up front, but you don't pay taxes when you withdraw your funds later. So they differ purely just on the tax treatment. It's like that was the mo- the hardest part for me to to grapple with when I a few years like probably five years ago now. But when I was trying to learn about this stuff, was the IRA and the four hundred one k. It took like three different mm-hmm. people to explain it to me <laughs> when I was trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out what to do. So thanks for explaining. Yeah, no, I mean it can definitely be confusing, especially with all the tax stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of these terms for people, it's just a lot of terms around a topic that is really intimidating to think about. So mm-hmm. having you help us break this down has been really helpful for sure. I think that actually the one thing we haven't covered when it comes to investing, retirement is when should people start doing this? Like I think a lot of people in their 20s are like, well, I don't need to start saving for retirement yet. I've got 40 years or 30 years until I need to worry about it. But what realistically, when should people really get started? Oh, so I love this question. I have like a section of FAQs (laughs) in the back of my book. And one of them is literally, when should I start investing? And my one word answer is right now. (laughs) I guess that's two words. It's now. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important that you get started literally right now. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be intimidating. But to fully enjoy the benefits of the stock market and all the appreciation, you have to take advantage of time. No matter your age, you need to start investing right now. Time is like your biggest ally in the stock market game. And not only is time on your side, no matter how young or old you are, and not only will like appreciation and compound interest work better the longer that you have, but you'll regret it if you don't. Because you'll always look back and you'll say, man, if only I had invested Mm -hmm. when I was 20 years old or when I was 25 years old or when I was 30 years old. So you'll regret it if you don't. 
Also, it's okay to make mistakes. Many people avoid investing now because they're afraid of messing up. And that's understandable. But investing isn't this big, hard thing that you have to spend a ton of time on and energy on to get right. And the good thing is when you're young, you can afford to make some little mistakes because you have so much time to make up for it. Um, You don't have to be some Wall Street tycoon. You can afford a few mistakes when you're young. And the great thing about today is that it's never been easier to invest. There's all these apps now like Capital and Acorn and Robinhood, and it makes it really, really easy to invest. And everything is online. So you have no excuse. You have to get invested right now. <laughs> no, that's great. I just, so you're, you're very accomplished. Your book has definitely made an impact, but what's next for you? What, do you have any plans, any other books you're going to write? What's, what's next? Yeah, actually I am currently writing my second book and it's about passive income and it's about how you can build passive income streams so that you have, you have money that's just working for you and you can basically live off of that income and retire early. So that's what I'm writing about now. I'm hoping to launch it this year, but it's, it's definitely taken me a little bit more time than it took me to write money, honey, but we will get there. <laughs> when, let me ask you one follow-up question. When it's ready, will you come on the podcast to promote it again? Because I have a feeling you're going to oh, be a, I would love I have to. a, feeling you're gonna be a fan yeah. favorite. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I, you know how passionate I am about finance, but it's passive income that I could just <laughs> talk about for days. So yeah, I would love awesome. to. Well, <laughs> We really, really appreciate you coming on. But as we mentioned, we like to do a fun segment at the end, which our listeners know we like to do. So for today, we were thinking um, in honor of your book and everything that we talked about, (laughs) maybe we can all go around and talk about one thing that we consistently spend too much money on and that we wish we we could change. So uh, Sarah, why don't we uh, kick it off with you? Honestly, like I think one of the things I spend too much money on, it's not even like going out food. It's like grocery store food. <laughs> like I, I, I realized this probably a year ago when I, when I was doing a lot more of like the competitive fitness stuff, I found that I was spending like $500 a month on food just for myself um, at the grocery store, not even including going out to eat with friends and stuff. And I was like, well, that seems excessive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I made some tweaks and just started to be a little more mindful of it and bought things in bulk instead of like at the grocery store type of thing. So trying to cut, cut some seemingly unnecessary costs out of my budget. Yeah, that's a good, that's good. Food is one of the hardest things for me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What about you, Rachel? So my, I, I'll go with something slightly more specific, but for me, frozen meals, <laughs> which is like embarrassing, but I hate to me cook. Too. Like I hate it. And so like I justify it because I'm like, well, it's better to spend like $3 on a frozen meal than to go out to eat and spend, you know, $15. But still, like I know that I have a lot of room to like be better about at least doing like crockpot meals or cooking at home. And I could probably spend a lot less money on frozen meals. So <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> Just to add to yours and kind of Sarah's, like, I'll tell you, I spend too much money at the grocery store because I try to pretend like I'm going to cook. And then I buy it. And so it's like wasting either way. So both of you are like dead on with me. That's hilarious. I would say, honestly, I'll just give the basic answer and say I spend way too much uh, money on going out to dinner and bar tabs. Like my friend, like some of my guy friends and I, like we play a joke pretty much every time. Like we always try to pick up the tabs and it's just annoying and I got to stop doing that. So that's (laughs) number one. And then just to add this other talking about tracking expenses, I've been 
since like three months ago, I've been on a kick because I realized I had been paying for Weight Watchers online for like six years. And I thought I had mm-hmm. canceled it and I just, it really <gasps> like drove me nuts. So now I've been scouring my, like everything I've ever signed up for, making sure I'm not losing any money on that. And I realized there were a few other things that I signed up for that were taking, you know, $8 out of my account or like $10 out. And I'm, so I'm putting a stop to that this year. That's the, uh, that's the new year's fake resolution, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really good tip though. Finding like things that you didn't realize you were paying yeah. for month after month. That's really smart. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, trust me, I uh, did. I should have been using the Weight Watchers thing. I would have if I knew. Yeah, I had like it. sort of like how <laughs> I pay for a gym membership, and I should go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Rachel, this was great. I thank you so much for sharing all of this. This was really, really incredible, and I think this is going to be very, very helpful for our listeners. But is there any um, anything else about your book? How can we f- how can we find it? How can people research you? Get in touch with you? Yeah. So my book is available on Amazon, ebook or paperback. So you can go search Money Honey and it'll pop up. I also have a Facebook and Instagram. You can just search Money Honey Rachel. But I encourage people to read the book because then you can join my Facebook group. And it's a group of a ton of people. We're all super supportive and we all learn from each other and ask questions. And that's a really great resource. And if anyone that's listening wants to reach out to me directly, you can email me at moneyhoneyrachel at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Rachel. This, like I said, incredible content, great information. So many of our listeners want to hear more about how they can be more financially responsible. So this will give them some amazing tips to get started. So thanks everyone for listening. And you can find us on Instagram at Entry Level Podcast. (laughs) 